Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And effectively, they ran out of cash in the ATMs. They were very proud because they were the only bank open within the region. So no other banks were able to operate, but they ran out of cash. So they asked from the regulator was like, you got to fill up our ATFs like much quicker. One in 238 people in Botswana have the surname Malefi. That makes it about as common as the surname Williams is in England and the USA. So imagine you want to send out a customized offer to 25,000 of your customers. You're going to get a little over 100 different Molefis in Botswana or 100 Williamses in England or the US. That's not a problem per se. They'll all have different initials, perhaps, except that seven of the 20 most common first names in Botswana start with either a K or a T. But so what? Maybe you have a few dozen K Molefis in your file. Why is that a big deal? And the answer to that is that in Botswana, at least while I was still working there, which admittedly is a decade ago. But then the size and the nature of the mining industry was such that many customers used their work address as their correspondence address. So every time we sent out a campaign, we'd have several people with the same initial, same surname, and same address in our file. They'd have different mobile numbers. But the big shiny system that our parent bank had signed us up to implement came with only one channel to contact customers, letters. So every Champion Challenger campaign we sent was noisy because one K Malefi might not respond to an offer for a three-month interest-free period on their balance transfer if they've seen another K Malefi's six-month offer. Or worse, one K Malefi might open a collections letter meant for another K Malefi and see some private data that shouldn't be shared. This was simply not a scenario that had been imagined in the lands where post was fast, secure, and direct. So there's something to be said for core banking systems being designed from the ground up with developing markets in mind. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Antonio Saparovic. You're a CEO and co-founder of Aradian, a Zagreb-based fintech with its roots in financial inclusion, but perhaps we could say its future wherever growing businesses need a core banking system. But before we talk about cloud-native technology and taking rural banks digital, let's talk about how someone with an accent just like mine has ended up based out of Croatia. Uh, Brennan, thank you very much. And uh, good question. I ask myself the same thing often. So I'm a fellow South African. I studied in Cape Town, then went to Johannesburg, got involved in the dot-com boom, building websites. And then as most South Africans do, they go to London. So I went for my 24 months in London, which ended up being about 10 years. And that's really kind of where I started my career. 
I got involved with a a core banking system based in Belfast. Around that time, I also kind of was thinking about moving towards Croatia out of interest. My parents were originally from Croatia and I experimented with working from home. So I found myself moving to Croatia while working out of London. I thought it was a good lifestyle. And that's what kind of got me. But fast forwarding a little bit after that, decided to set up a business. And so I started from my apartment in Zagreb. So that's kind of my journey of geographies. Yeah, and Croatia is a country that sort of most of us think of in terms of tourism and, and the beach, but not necessarily from a tech point of view. Is there a fintech scene out of Zagreb? What's the environment like in terms of new business creation? We have in Croatia now two unicorns and they're growing. So there's more and more coming out. So it's pretty interesting for a country of 4 million people. What Croatia is also known for, as well as Eastern Europe, is for great tech talent. And so that was kind of for us when we decided to start a Radian. Uh, we were looking to bootstrap, so starting from my daughter's bedroom. But in parallel, Croatia was moving into the EU and a bit of naivety in that process as well. But it was well suited for us as we were building it. But we're seeing, you know, through the years, we've noticed more and more startups are coming out of Croatia and having global recognition, which is fantastic to see. So you had been working with some pretty successful software companies and doing a lot of exciting projects. And then you had this idea to head out to Croatia, but also to explore entrepreneurship working out of your daughter's bedroom. What was that founding vision? What was the goal uh, you set out to achieve with this new business? I suppose in in a way, I was frustrated. So my frustration inspired it. But working at at this core banking system, what I found was the demand for core banking is, is high. So it wasn't a challenge to sell a core banking system. But when I was going to ask those same customers who I sold to to be references, they were often very, very frustrated. And the root of that frustration was they struggled to implement what they purchased. Now, core banking systems, it's a very expensive purchase. You're committing the entire organization into it. And once you start, it's just a hornet's nest of, of challenges. So for me, it was very frustrating looking at naively only from a sales point of view that why wasn't I getting enough references? And that was the inspiration I thought it was like, why don't you build a core banking system that actually addresses the problem of the customer and makes the customer appreciate you that they would be your reference? And I say very naive uh, perspective. What I also realized that most core banking systems selling to the emerging markets were solutions designed in the West in very mature markets and very complex financial services, which clearly address the needs of their market, but it was then taking that solution and trying to parachute it into other environments. And from my design background, what I often thought about was, why don't you solve the problems within the markets you're selling? So if you start from there, you're en route to understand what the customer's problems are and help them through the journey of changing core banking. That was the direction that I took and the the motivation to start a Radian was very much to put the customer at the center of the whole idea and then work around the customer by finding the right solution for them and helping them mitigate their risks from moving from one core banking onto our core banking. Earlier, my career was mainly with some of the big banks. And I think in our office in Kenya, there was an old 386 computer very carefully protected because it was the only one old enough to run some key bits of software. Everyone was too nervous to update it because, well, it works, but everybody was unhappy. Yeah, we spoke before this recording about your first project. I think we should maybe talk about that just to set the context of how different 
this is. We're not talking about, you know, a high street bank in a slightly smaller country. You've done some projects in really pretty extreme conditions. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. What was the first project that you rolled out with Iradian and what did it teach you about maybe what your future would hold? Back in 2013, our very first customer was an organization called DEC, based out of Bauchi, north of Nigeria. Bauchi, uh, particularly at the time, was more popular in the news because of the civil unrest with the Boko Haram. So, really challenging environment to operate. And then, by the added complexities, uh, Nigeria has very tough infrastructure challenges, particularly with energy. Part of what we wanted to do particularly in the early days, make the system available for any type of financial institution and be able to be robust to work anywhere. And kind of taking this concept of solving for them, we were very conscious of bandwidth constraints of how they run their branches, what they have in terms of servers. And so we well, we took it for granted, a black decision that the bright way is cloud. And we, we wanted to try out our thesis. We actually managed to implement with quite a bit of ease. We migrated their data from previous system. We trained the staff and uh, we were able to complete the implementation quite quickly. What started becoming quite interesting is all the different dynamics that started coming out from being an on-premise system and cloud. So, access to real-time data. So, some of the changes started happening very quickly where branch managers no longer needed to travel to the head office to take the data because they all had to have an on-prem database put into a flash drive and brought to the head office to consolidate the data. They didn't have the bandwidth uh, to be able to send that via email. So we, we noticed these kind of challenges. And then ironically, this is a non-technical issue, but what was quite interesting is that there was resistance from the managers because they weren't getting their per diems for traveling. And so it felt that the system was shortchanging them. And then we found ourselves talking to uh, with our customer and looking at finding different bonus incentives so that they, they could still earn that, but it was rather related to performance than to the behavior they had. So we learned a lot on the very first implementation. Fast forward three years later, they had managed to 3x their clients base that they were serving. So we saw a lot of value coming out of that change in behavior, change in the way they operate, freeing up resources to serve more clients, less back-end work, everything was online. All they needed to do to open up a new branch was just have a new laptop and have a low bandwidth connection. So it was a great experience having that, you know, and that learning from that very first customer, which then went on to kind of start defining what a Radian is looking to achieve. And that was to kind of have a core banking system that could work in any environment for anyone. And in enabling financial institutions, banks, credit unions, to be able to serve more clients. That was what we set out to do, to see, can we do that in Nigeria? And we achieved that and went out to roll out more across the continent. I'm sure that a fair amount of the pushback on video conferencing is the nice executive trips here and there. It's much better than meeting by Zoom. So maybe we need to still provide people the opportunity to get that trip, but uh, just not from random meetings, but as an incentive. Yeah, and you you spoke about from there, you grew and uh, you moved around the world. You've implemented in, in many other markets. One of the ones that you particularly uh, successful in is the Philippines, which is a, a market close to my own heart, having worked there for a few years myself. But the Philippines is a market, unfortunately, very prone to typhoons. 
that come through, cause lots of damage. Part of the benefit of your cloud-based approach and having that data off-premises is that it's physically off-premises for when things go wrong. And I know that you had a client who was struck by uh, typhoon in the Philippines and, and by, by flooding. Can you talk about how your cloud-based approach helped them to recover and keep their business going despite uh, the chaos they found themselves in? The specific typhoon was just before Christmas of 2021. So it was in December 2021. The region is around the Ring of Fire. So there's a lot of natural disasters that occur in the Philippines. But this particular typhoon was a lot stronger than most were anticipating. And particularly on an island called Mindanao and facing the Pacific is a town called Kantilan. And it wreaked havoc through Kantilan. What was struck me was Kantilan giving a debriefing to the regulator and the VSP, and they were highlighting some of the benefits of cloud. And, and maybe just before I get into those benefits, I'd give a little bit of context. Cantalan was the first regulated bank within the Philippines to move their entire core banking system into the cloud. It was a move that was very much welcomed by the regulator. And this was as early as 2013. Fast forward to 2017, we started working with Cantilan and immediately after the typhoon, they were able to get up and running. And so they plotted on a graph is you know, day one, everything was out. Day two, two branches up, then three branches up and started going. And within, within a week, they basically had over 60% operations uh, of all their branches. And that enabled the community to get financial services. And one of the things that they needed was access to cash. And effectively, they ran out of cash in the ATMs because they were the only bank open within the region. So no other banks were able to operate and they were able to operate. So they were very proud that they were, they were up and running all the big banks. They couldn't operate, but they ran out of cash. So they asked from the regulator was like, you got to fill up our ATFs like much quicker. You can't leave us. So just because we have a disaster doesn't mean we're, you know, we're disconnected. You got to keep that infrastructure enablement. What we learned from that experience as well is not only are the advantages of being able to operate anywhere, but it also, whenever there is a natural disaster, how quickly can they get back online? What tools do they need to be online? The frequency of such things is going to happen more and more. And the physical risks are going to become more and more intense, particularly for financial institutions who are working in challenging geographies or in remote areas. And that kind of comes back a little bit to you know, the problems we end up solving for our customers is you know, how can they be more agile? And what I'm really proud of is that we were able to take technology that you're expecting to see in banks in London and apply it anywhere in the world. So regardless if you're in the Philippines, if you're in Nigeria, or if you're London, everyone can have access to the best tools, the best technology by being on the internet. There's a lot of incumbents sitting there, you know, taking things to the cloud, but it takes a little bit of bravery or a little bit of somebody to stand up and think about core banking and taking that into the cloud, which it's great to have these conversations because at some point, it's going to have to happen. You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, I'd love you to hit that little plus button to follow. Now, time for a quick ad break, and then we'll get right back to the show. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, we've spoken about it now a fair amount from a technology point of view, but you also talk about design thinking and that your approach in rolling out your products isn't just, okay, we're doing everything yeah, that used to be done uh, on a floppy disk. We're now putting it on the cloud. You know, you've taken this from the ground up approach to building core banking systems for the developing market. So let's revisit that point a little bit for a moment. What is the approach that you take and how are you doing things differently? It was very interesting for me from growing up in South Africa, observing how within the telco space and the mobile space, prepay cards actually took off in, in South Africa and was a testing bed. And now it's globally accepted that everyone you know, can buy a prepaid card. And so that for me is an example where you're taking something from the emerging markets and applying it into the West. And we're seeing more and more that we, we came from, you know, we kind of follow that same trajectory. We started with very simple financial institutions. But what we did was we always had one source code. And yet we've grown to, we now have, our customers are in 11 different countries serving regulated, non-regulated, different types of financial institutions, all on one source code. And that really meant is we had to be smart about how we actually built our core banking, how we're able to facilitate, make things uh, parameter-based rather than code, hard-coded in. Putting all of this into the system and thinking about it made it incredibly robust. And today, what we're seeing is we are able to service very simple institutions, but we're also able to serve financial institutions that are on the bleeding edge of financial services, what they refer to headless. So there's no branches. Everything is online. And they're reaching their client base through mobile phones only. And their big need is about innovation and speed. We've got a great foundation of what we built on by starting off, in, as, as we discussed, in Nigeria and Philippines and, and so forth. But where we, where we see ourselves as well is managing to fill in the gap and the need of a lot of forward-looking institutions, those who are wanting to kind of leapfrog and compete with fintechs, as well as fintechs themselves, how to deliver new services, how to take what their clients are asking for and address it uh, both as a service as well as eventually going back into their products. So where we're standing is how to enable that innovation and speed to market. And this is very much the next chapter at Radian is introducing new services within our offering and working with different third parties to be able to offer services to financial institutions. Well, there's a great picture we, we have uh, in the office is although we're working in rural parts of Nigeria, uh, there's a shot of our core banking system running in a Tesla. 
And I think it's a great contrast uh, where we've come from. We are on the very, I would say, bleeding edge of fintech while being able to service the entire long tail. And that I think puts us in a unique position is both we have the experience and the technology to address all types of needs. And that, you know, that we're seeing our customers wanting to learn from that experience and they're coming to us and, you know, can you sit down with us and get involved in our strategic plans? You know, we started off by selling a core banking system to being partners with our customers and helping them look forward so we can start bringing that into our innovation. And the advantage to all of them is both the knowledge we've collected along the way the knowledge we built into the system, but also the ability to react with speed. And so how do you improve the experience for the end clients? And that's where the big value proposition comes from, but it's based on building on the right foundation, solving it for those requirements within the market. Yeah, and I'm glad you spoke about knowledge. It's something you forget about, but not just the technology, but that those ideas, those learnings, that those can now be transported easily uh, is vital. And we're no longer in two separate worlds. Everybody's going online. There are, of course, communities that really still need to be served in different ways. But the mobile phone and the smartphone meant that the problems we're facing are becoming more similar. And since this is a show about lending, I better not leave that unasked. Uh, do you do any lending products as well? Yes, we are. So we have our product engine that does loans as well as a deposit taking savings. So you can, you can have both within one system. And then that's very neatly tied into a product engine, very neatly tied to the general ledger within the system, automated and then easily exported. And that becomes very important for the different type of customers and different places we work that the ability to do the calculation in real time is really important for our customers because that, that information is very easy. It's consolidated instantly. And you can go back and pull out a report at any given time with a picture of what it looks like at that moment in time. So yes, we do do loans and we have very powerful reporting behind that as well. And that bird's eye view, I mean, we talk about the impacts of multiple systems and systems that are working so nobody's brave enough to fix. But Invariably, you know, one system running credit card, one running mortgages, a separate one running your auto loans. Many banks, surprisingly many banks, will go to somebody like a credit bureau and find out via the credit bureau which of their credit card customers isn't one of their loan customers because their internal bank systems simply can't talk to each other. Or who in doing something else have realized, wait a minute, you know, 30% of my personal loan business doesn't have a credit card with me, but has with somebody else. And they can't see that themselves because systems are simply just working and are held together with duct tape. So having that view over that is not just that they've got a view they would never have had in lending, but from affordability point of view, that's better. From a KYC point of view, that's better. And even from the bank's point of view, they can see who your customer is. You can offer them the products that they need without having to do funny work around. So really great to hear. And I think yeah, I've been working in banking for 20 years and all 20 of those years, we've been joking about how bad the systems are and how old the systems are and how nobody wants to touch them. I have a friend who helped oversee a migration of internet banking platforms for, for one of the big, uh, well, for, for a major bank. And I don't think he slept for weeks. He was, you know, camping under his desk, just holding thumbs that this internet banking would move over. They are 
big difficult projects but you know you can't you can't go 20 years still making the same jokes and the systems have just got 20 years older it is something that people need to address is like at what point do we make this migration because again the simplified fintech story is always the big banks can't compete with the challenges because legacy systems i wonder from your side yeah having worked in london having worked around the world in developing markets too what are you seeing in your projects that you're rolling out now that maybe the developed world should be taking a particularly close look at? As you rightfully said, I think everyone's nervous about changing a core banking system and how to approach the problem is always, we'll leave it for the next, uh, the, the next CEO to kind of worry about that. But I think, you know, it starts off by making the first step. You don't always have to have a revolution. You can have an evolution. I think that's what's really great about cloud technology. You can take component by component and start moving it into the cloud. What we've learned is we've started out by building a core banking system that is effectively replacing the existing system or systems. So we often go and go and replace a number of systems. But as our system has matured, what it also is enabled us, particularly with the low-code approach to implementation, is that we can really adapt to any environment. So we can integrate with existing systems through our APIs. And that starts allowing uh, CTOs, CIOs to think about core banking from a different perspective. You can do it in a phased approach, or you can do it in a big bang approach. And I think that's the big learning is that swallow the frog as quickly as possible. Take on the big projects because then everything else becomes easier. Everything else is just kind of putting lipstick on a pig. So for me, it's, it's not a tech, technology learning. It's more of an approach. And what's happening is that those who are embracing technology and digital transformation are the ones who are clearly becoming the winners in the market. The demand from a consumer point of view, even from businesses, is acquiring more and more convenience. So the demand is driving digital transformation. The costs are driving digital transformation. Banks need to embrace that and start working on it. And there's going to be two things that they're going to have to deal with. One is the technology and one is the impact on change management within an organization. That can be tackled very, very easily if they're well thought through, well planned. I think part of what's really important through that process is finding the right partner that can help you through that transition. Is that through a set of consultants? Is that the right technology? Or it's a combination of both. I would also recommend before embarking on a project, go and get references from customers who've gone through that transition. That's the unspoken secret. It's like, just get references for whoever you work with. From our side at Radiant, we, we like to take customers through that journeys, fully understanding what is the impact of changing, how that will impact them, and then demonstrate the ease of how our technology can work with their technology. And so we invite them obviously to meet with our existing customer base, but also just deep dive straight away into the system, get to play with it, and then see how easy it is to integrate. I like that closing the loop with the references. Obviously, you, you did finally get what you were hoping for in a customer group that were happy enough uh, with the product they got to tell others. So congratulations on that. And Antonio, thank you so much for your time. You're in 11 countries now. You're not shy to, to take on new markets. You've won many awards for innovation. You made many lists on companies to look out for. What is coming down the line if anybody sort of wants to keep an eye out? We often talk about the young bank, but what I also see is within banking markets, the ease to be able to get financial services is becoming challenging. 
banks have got more and more constraints. And I see that what that's putting pressure on is the market needs access to services. So we're seeing a lot of innovation. You know, that's what we're going to continue to see over the coming years is more and more technology companies are creating these gaps in the market. So we'll see a lot more innovation. And then as enablers like ourselves, we're going to be enabling that innovation with speed to market, very easy to use back-end architecture. I consciously choose not to get over-technical because one of the things I think is really important for any leadership team within a bank, financial institution, is not to get caught up with technology, but rather you know sit down and figure out strategy around digitization. All of this is about making business sense. It's not about the technology. The technology generally works because you mold the technology, you code the technology, you write what you want it to do. But you've got to be clear what, what is it that you're trying to achieve. And then I think the other big thing that we'll see in the, in the next two years is a lot more openness where financial institutions have to work with third parties, both in attracting new customers, enabling new services. They can't do everything by themselves. So they need to find those partners. And that's going to come down back to their core banking is how open can their system work with other third parties. So I think it's very much about playing nicely with third parties. In Europe, we see it with PSD2. We're going to see that in different forms in different markets. And it's going to come out in different acronyms or different names or different business models. But it's very much about collaborating. Yeah, that's a good point because I won't mention any names, but a friend of mine is in financial services. They, they, they sell a data product and they want to sell to the banks. The banks have APIs. They can comply with those APIs. But in terms of getting the compliance sign-offs, he said you, you do get two years before you can finally actually do business. And it creates this secondary routine where smaller companies with something to offer will go and connect to one of the bigger incumbent partners like a credit bureau and say, well, can you resell my product? And then I can go in via your door because you've already been pre-approved by the compliance team, by the procurement team. These walls that uh, banks have put up. And you're right, in Europe, in the UK, I think that's going away. But it's not just having APIs, but it's yeah, the willingness and, uh, and seeing the value in connecting to these partners. And if I think about someone like Klarna, you would say they're a fashion brand because so much of their work is about who are they partnering with, which brands are they combining with, and that appeal that they're creating. And you look at, is an HSBC or a Barclays going to compete in the buy now, pay later space against Klarna? From a technology point of view, probably quite easily. But what about the branding? How are you going to appeal to what are Gen Z looking at on the internet? What are the cool brands sitting in a bank boardroom? Who's going to know that? So these are big changes that I think are definitely worth uh, calling out. And those are the different types of financial institutions that we need to be conscious of, that they're, they're going to come out of market demand. And these financial institutions need to be careful not to fall into the same trappings that, where they become effectively technology companies, where they're only servicing one client. And I think that's the big advantage for outsourcing. This trend is growing with a number of cloud-based core banking systems in the market. By outsourcing it, you also have the ability to learn from others' experience. I, would, I mentioned knowledge earlier on. How do you bring that knowledge back and you're making it available through the system so everyone gets the benefit? We've done implementation 
multiple times. So we're learning from all our customers in diverse set of markets, how we take that knowledge, we put it back into the system, we're investing into the system so that we can have lots of innovation, but coming from a wide net of learning. And that's the big advantage as well, is when you outsource this, what we're seeing now is our traditional banks, they're learning from what we're doing with fintechs, and it's making them reevaluate how they see things. The system's really enabling them to do what other fintechs are doing. I think that's really, really important. And for me, it's a big takeaway is that one doesn't have to fear technology that was mentioned earlier on this old legacy system. One needs to embrace it and can start very, very quickly by looking at parts of the business uh, rather than thinking of it as one massive dinosaur. And if anybody listening wants to start that journey, wants to get some of those references from your customers, wants to learn more about what you're doing at Aradian, what is the best place for them to go and look for more information? Hello at Aradian.com. I think that's a good starting point or our website, Aradian.com. And yeah, the team are always very happy to kind of discuss needs, requirements. And we're also very brutally honest. And if we're not a good fit, we'll, we'll let customers know. But what we prefer to do is really understand um, what their challenges are and their approach doing it, and then very quickly kind of come come up with a roadmap for that solution. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time again. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed that, please do rate and review on your preferred podcast platform and share widely, including on LinkedIn. And while you're there, send me a connection request. The show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange in Brighton, England, and edited with assistance by Kane Hunter. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find full written transcripts, show notes, and more content at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 